Thank you, Kristen. Uh, you guys both on there? Yes, I am. Hello. Ah, cool. Oh, good afternoon, Gerard. This is Deb on behalf of Fanboy Planet. How are you? Hi. I'm great, Deb. How are you? It's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, series one has just been completed and made into a great book with special features. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. I got a, um, I got a, what is it called, an advanced copy of it. Did you? Yeah, it's currently my favorite thing. I'll bet it is. It's it w- beautiful, and it's cool because the format that we picked for, uh, we spent a lot of time discussing the format, and it just, it's cool as a writer because it just makes me want to create more, so that way, you, you know, there's just like a whole mess of them because it's a very distinct format. So. Well, that's what the industry wants to hear. Suite number two's cover features the following quote by Grant Morrison, um, an ultraviolet, psychedelic, sherbet bomb of wit and ideas. The superheroes of the 21st century are here at last. How does it feel having your hero compliment your work in that way? Um, That that was, you know, reading that quote from Grant, um, and then obviously, like, he did the forward which is also very sweet for the trade. Uh, it was it was a huge deal to me because the the best part about hearing Grant say that is I I had read basically it was almost like a manifesto or something that he had written, mm-hmm. and I found this bit of press, and I believe it was from an interview, and he talked about this um, this um, new wave of lo-fi weirdness, and it, <laughs> I, he wrote this way back in. Uh, it might have even been in the days of the X-Men of the Invisibles, and so it might have even been that Really? Yeah, and I read this, and I, I, you know, to myself, I really wanted to be a part of that wave, and I didn't feel like anybody really was an epic to it. And I thought Grant, I thought Grant was, you know, <clears throat> totally in this class of his own. Absolutely. At most, and he still is, and I yes. most writers at the time and even today are plugged into something completely different. I think these guys are, you know, they're just kind of writing whatever superhero drama currently needs to be written, and that's kind of what they're doing. Um, but there's nobody that's, like, really... I mean, now, obviously, you have Matt Fraction mm-hmm. and things like that, which, and Matt Fraction's amazing, but you don't even have this postmodern thing at the time. So um, for, <laughs> for Grant to really write that, um, it, just, it just made me feel so... Amazing. Oh, I'll bet it did. Here's a question for you. Most artists are withdrawn, myself included. Was there a particular sort of life-defining incident, I guess, when you were young? You know, not just standard peer pressure that contributed to that outlook? That's a, that's a really great question. Thank you. Before, but, um, um, I, I, I think it was simply, I don't know if it's your environment that makes you withdrawn or the fact that you have the ability to live in your head and you would prefer it that way. I think that's more of what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, when I realized I had kind of, as a child, an affinity to create things and make things up that weren't lies either. It wasn't about lies. They were fiction. Mm-hmm. There were stories and characters and places. And I was basically just dreaming. And when I realized that I could kind of dream out loud like that, um, it, that's what made me withdraw it because I preferred living in my own head. I relate to that. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, that's really what it was. I, I definitely, I'm with you on that one. Um, in the letter call, the AKA letter call, in suite number four, which actually the letters dated back to suite number two. They were a little behind. Scott Alley had warned a hopeful fan not to expect an ongoing series, yet you've now said that you expect to do eight or more. Uh, this turned into a bit of a runaway train, didn't it? <laughs> it, 
the thing is, I think the reason that he said an ongoing, um, because we never, we never intended this to be a monthly book. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but the thing about that that's it's cool, I get to talk about in an interview is, it's a little limiting not doing an ongoing book as much as it's liberating because you only write a story when you have one. Mm-hmm. There's lots of things then you can't do. If there's a lot of, let's say, quiet moments, you've only got six issues in a clip. Right. And you can't do a lot of those. You, you, you know, there's issues where I'd simply want the Umbrella Academy, like, going to get breakfast somewhere. And it's hard to do that stuff because you've got six issues. You've got to make them count. And mm-hmm. with an ongoing book, you can do that. You can riff on that stuff. But as I started to slowly realize, Umbrella Academy is the book where you kind of can't do that because it's not a monthly. Um, but I definitely always intended there to be um, all these little and in, in a way they're just vignettes of this these characters lives right there's about eight or nine of them total uh that's good that you mentioned that because this one's been bugging me are we ever going to find out what happened to the horror yeah you you are, you are and, and uh um i don't i don't necessarily know that that's something that's going to happen um sooner than later and i wish i could tell you why but um there's something that has to do with the Jennifer incident that um, is, is a major point to the Umbrella Academy. So, um, but it's not necessarily. So, a lot of people really like that character, even though they've only seen him briefly as an adult and yeah. very briefly as a child. Um, but uh, <clears throat> there's not even really any flashbacks of him. No, there aren't. <laughs> there aren't. Yeah, and I don't see there being one for quite a while either. Okay, we're going to have to keep waiting then. Um, the Umbrella Academy has been nominated for some very prestigious awards this year. You're up for an Eisner as Best Limited Series, an Eagle for Favorite New Comic and Favorite Cover for Suite Number 1. That's quite an honor for a fledgling author such as yourself. How do you feel? I mean, that, that feels amazing. Like, uh, to put it in perspective, like, um, <laughs> like, My Chemical Romance has never been nominated for a Grammy, but this year I was nominated as an art director for a Grammy mm-hmm. for the layout for Black Parade and all my involvement with that. Um, you know, getting nominated for an Eisner to me is the one that feels better. Of course. And, like, to me, that's the one that counts. Like, a Grammy is cool and I would love for the band to eventually have one of those for the band, but, like, getting nominated for an Eisner, that was the big one to me. Like, I, you know, as a kid trying to write comics, like, you always want... I mean, you have a dream of being nominated for an either, and to get it on the first series, um, it's incredible. It's it's so huge, you know. Sure, of course, it's huge. That's the most incredible feeling. I, I, I guess for me, as as a writer myself, it would probably be like a Nobel Prize. Um, right, right, right. It, but yeah, no, it's cooler than a Grammy. Oh, of course, I agree with you. <laughs> your artistic style, uh, as far as you know, your drawing and your painting, your artistic style in that direction, has become kind of refined over the years. You started favoring angular features. There's a certain type of red that you always like to intertwine with your black and whites. Can you explain a little bit about the reason you view your world in this way? Um. Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I don't really know. I think, well, there's a part of me that always really wanted to be Alex Toast. Um, and he, he's, in, he's, an, he's kind of an impossible dream for a lot of comic creators to chase. I think the, the guy I've seen get closest to it is obviously Steve Root. And, you know, that's, that's because he's a complete master. And if I could draw like Toast, I think, 
Um, you know, it would be a dream come true. But I mean, I, I, I all the time. But I think, um, I think it got refined into that because of his. Like, I really started to look at his simplicity and kind of what he left out and things like that. I don't know where the angles started to come from. It may have been from, you know, Pat O'Neill and reading uh, Martial Law. Okay. That ended up being a, a big influence on the style. Um, and. I've just always been a fan of the very rich kind of red and black and white. Like, those three colors to me always kind of scream comic books. Um, they do. And, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think, though. I mean, I don't know why I view the... I think I, think I would probably rather be drawing different than I do. How so? But um, I'm kind of working in what I, with what I got right now. Oh, well, what would you like to be doing differently? I think I, I wish I was a little bit more fluid, like like somebody like Toast, like or an animator. I'm I'm very I like even guys like Don Blues. I love that kind of style. That's just so. But that really comes from a tremendous amount of life study, um, and that's how guys like that are able to bend it so well. But I think the angles, if I had to pick, I think they come from uh, like I'm a real big fan of Greek statuary and Greek art, and I think uh, and I'm a huge fan of the myth. And I think that's where it stems from. Oh, I see it now that you mention it. That's, oh, that's yeah. interesting. Um, you frequently refer to the cover of the Uncanny X-Men Fever Dream where Wolverine is being crucified on a woodimentary wooden X as being both a favorite of yours as well as an attempt to irritate your Catholic parents a little bit. <laughs> uh, there's a book, uh, My Name is Ashelev by Chaim Potok, which tells the story of a Hasidic Jewish painter whose first showing features a painting of his mother on a cross, and he actually gets excommunicated for the atrocity. Uh, that story, to me, kind of furthers the strength of that image. Uh, what other images strike you as unforgettably daunting in that manner? Um, I, I mean, like Magritte, um, mm-hmm. The Lovers by Magritte has been the one painting that I saw while I was in art school that really um, really stood out to me. And, like, um, again, with where I get my angular things from, like, I love Guernica. I think it's, you know, mm-hmm. like, that painting is one of the most unbelievable things to me ever. Mm-hmm. Um and probably, yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot I really, as far as the ones that really have kind of stood out to me, like, I'm trying to even, even, like, album covers more than anything, I'm trying to think of the ones that really, yeah, actually, probably, like, most of the Pink Floyd albums. I was just going to say The Wall. <laughs> yeah, The Wall, and uh, the biggest one, I think, is, like, Animals. Um, mm. Album cover to Animals is just, like... Unreal. That's probably one of my favorite images ever. And those, so their their album artwork has really stuck out to me over the years. Yeah, it's very disturbing. <laughs> it definitely makes the point. Uh, you were recently interviewed by Emily the Strange. Uh, I'm going to have to say you know you've arrived as a comic book author when you get to conduct an interview within a comic book as a character. Was that a blast to do? That was actually very fun. And I, I tried to make it as natural, you know, as possible when I was typing out my answers so it could appear that I was speaking of this character and that was, that was a real blast and you know to see the, the artwork come back and um, yeah I'd never really read an Emily like and I thought what was cool about it was the way that kind of like the page layouts were and everything just kind of intertwined it was just really clever it was like reading something out of like a really mad magazine and I just loved how it yeah all the answers and questions visually flowed into each other and so I was really happy with that yeah that was that was a fun read um, I promised Derek McCaw he's the editor in chief over there at Fanboy Planet that I would ask you these I'm assuming they're going to make more sense to you than they do to me 
Uh, he wants to know, since you worked as an intern at DC Comics, do you fear that you will be written out of the continuity in the final crisis? Oh, my God. <laughs> What's funny about this question? I, I don't know anything about Final Crisis. <laughs> at all. I have no idea what... I don't even know what the crisis is. <laughs> like, I don't... I have no idea, but if, if hopefully Grant will find a way to work me um, out of the Final Crisis. So. Yeah, he's going to have to give you a, a hookup there. Um, you're a pretty big gamer, right, Gerard? Uh, what's the darkest secret that you can tell Fanboy Planet about your time as an elf? Oh, well, you know, the thing is, like, it's totally not a dark secret. I actually um, just recently even started collecting uh, modules. Like, there's something about old Dungeons & Dragons that is just, like, so, it's not even just nostalgic. It's it's so enchanting to me, and it's, like, the fact that you can get together with a group of your friends and at, at, like, 10 years old and do that kind of thing and really make up these worlds and stories. I mean, I had, you know, I still reminisce about playing Dungeons and Dragons and I still crack open these old books and look at all the mechanic imagery that got it in trouble back in the 80s and like, <laughs> it gets so complex doesn't it you know yeah it's so great I mean like I, I played well into my 20s <laughs> and, well, you heard it here first right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well um, I I just have to ask because um, number Five is by far my personal favorite character. What happened Thank in that you. diner? You're welcome. What, what happened where? What happened in that diner? How did he do that? Are you going to tell us? Cool. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you asked. Series two is going to be deal with with number five, and it's 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 um it's definitely number five's kind of moment to shine. Oh, good. Series, and, and it's you know, and he's obviously a character that just came into the fold. Back again, but it's heavily centered on um, number five and the problems that his decisions have kind of caused. Yeah. And so there's like an effect happening to things that he's done. He is actually, he's become quickly my favorite character. Really? Yeah, and I think that's why I decided to center series um, around him. And he's just the best. I mean, like. He is. He's just like so nihilistic and cynical, and he's really an old man who's who's been through so much stuff, and you never really even truly know how much he's been through and what he's done. And he's just done some awful things, and um, you know, it's it's uh, and if anything, I I found that you know <coughs> a lot. Oh, I'm still here. Hey, you guys Hello? ready? We're ready. <laughs> yes. Okay. Cool. So, um, yeah, I don't know what happened, but um, basically, I found that as far as my very, very cynical and kind of fatalistic view, the boy, or I would call him the boy, but number five, um, really ended up being my mouthpiece. Like, I think a lot of people thought it was Seance. I think they um, did too, or or possibly Space Boy. Yeah, they think we are. They think it, I think a lot of people kind of assume that it's. Especially because Seance is kind of gothic, um, they they assume that he's kind of uh, my mouthpiece. But it's it's definitely started to turn more into number five, and he's just very, you know, um, very much a character that I can talk through a lot, more more so than any other characters. So yeah, I, and you know, number five is kind of a weird deal too, because his best friend is Pogo, right? But he keeps hooking up with different Pogos. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Totally. 
So what's going to happen? There's a couple of love interests going on. Is is that going to get developed? Um, well, um, in series two, you'll kind of see that um, it's relatively impossible right now for either of those love interests to... Um, to go anywhere, and that's mainly, you'll see, because more of like a physicality issue, uh, you'll see in, in series two, so it's not even because of the action going on around them, it's more because of the physical state of the characters right now, um, and so that kind of stuff will be really on hold. The thing with Rumor in Space, I never really, I intended it to pan out very much like a very realistic um, relationship, mm-hmm. and with all of its very realistic disappointments and hang-ups. So, um, I never really intend an extreme focus. Um, and then the thing with, there's a DHP story that's <coughs> going on MySpace um, where you get a glimpse of Crockett and Bonnie at 17, and that definitely explains a little bit of their relationship. And so that, that makes more sense for sure now. Oh, that'll be interesting because he's definitely got problems that stem from that time period, I'm sure. Yeah, they both do, and and you'll, you'll you kind of see why, and you see you see where the grudge that's that kind of poked that out in issue three. You see where that comes from, and uh, you know it'll uh, it makes a lot of sense to the readers. Well, we are expecting series two at the end of the year, correct? Yeah, November. Oh, we'll be looking forward to that, Gerard. Thank you for your time. That was really enjoyable. Thank you. Um. We're definitely going to be looking forward to seeing the collector's editions. I'm sure they're going to be a fun read. And there's some extras in there, aren't there? Yeah, in the trade, there's a a sketchbook section. And then in the uh, collector's edition, there's an expanded uh, sketchbook section. And I'm going to end up writing a bit for that. Um, We're talking about doing some more umbrellicas because we actually literally ran out of time uh, during the first series because it was such a seat of our pants type deal sure. um, that we would run out of time and so they were supposed to be an umbrella ever too but just didn't work out that way and so we're thinking of filling in the extra umbrellas in that that would tie up some loose ends for sure and that's the cool thing about this story is you know you could there's all kinds of different ways you could fill people in on backstory, you know, what I love about Umbrella Academy is you're in the middle of things. You're never in the past. Yeah. As far as you're never seeing the story from the beginning. So there's all kinds of fun ways with which to say, oh, I'm going to tell them about the time this happened when, you know. It keeps it interesting. Peter. Yeah, it does. Well, I, I personally can't imagine anything funnier than the Eiffel Tower going berserk. So I, I got to see what you come up with next. Right, right, right. Uh, that was <laughs> that was a good one. You do you um have you ever uh, uh this is just a personal thing with me. Are, are you a fan of Spawn? A Spawn? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, not really. Like I read it when uh, I was a fan of Todd's art. So okay, uh, from Spider Man. So I was reading Spider Man before he got his own Spider Man. Then I read his Spider Man. Then. I got the first few issues of Spawn, but it didn't really go anywhere for me personally that I, you know, it was just a personal taste thing. I mm-hmm. really do uh, like his art, though, and I've always, you know, he was like one of my, one of my guys growing up. I loved him, and I loved Jim Lee. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, I actually just kind of asked that because I thought that the series had a, a bit of a darker outlook than the ones that were out at the time. You know, Spidey got darker later. 
Batman got darker later. Uh, Spawn started out that way. He was bitter. People took his family from him. I, it just, I, I just saw a correlation. You know, these kids have no family, and they're bitter, and, and they have issues going on among trying to save the world. Right. It, it was something it, that's true. Uh, there there's really no connection with Spawn. Um, oh, no, I don't think there's a connection. I just think it was an interesting approach that you have, and I was just drawing a correlation for me. Right. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, you know, I really kind of wanted to... To show them the characters that that are, I wanted to show it like after the adventures. I, I didn't think the I didn't think the most exciting part was after adventures and when they're at their prime. I thought it was more interesting to show these characters after their prime. So, I actually agree with you because it forces the reader to try to figure out how they got that way. Exactly, and and there's all kinds of different ways with which I could show them that are way more interesting than just kind of like, all right, the story starts when they're born. Right. And let's now follow them. Like, that would be so boring. And I didn't really want to even do an origin story, so that's what the first. Yeah, especially for Vanya, because she's pretty much stuck in that house for <laughs> 20 years, right? Yeah, that's... yeah. And, and you yeah, actually, well, the cool thing about the DHP story coming out, you get to see where, where she went for some time. So. She went off to school. Yeah, I'd like to see what happened in that school. I'm sure that was. Yeah, you, you see how she ends going there. So. Oh, that should be great. Uh, Gerard, thank you so much for your time. It's really appreciated. Um, on behalf of FanboyPlanet.com, uh, everybody should check out DarkHorse.com or Dark Horse Comics or Umbrella Academy Comic on MySpace. Um, Gerard, uh, enjoy your break. I understand you're taking a break. <laughs> yeah, I am. That's good. <laughs> um, have a wonderful rest of your day. Oh, you too. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.